Welcome to the Shortwave Report. I'm your host and producer, Dan Roberts. This Shortwave Report is a 30-minute review of news and opinion heard on a shortwave radio and the internet in Northern California. Listening to international broadcast at home is quite easy. You just need a shortwave radio with a schedule of English language broadcast or a computer or smartphone with an internet connection. To help you with this, I'll announce times, frequencies, and website addresses at the conclusion of each series of stories. At the website for this show, that's outfarpress.com. You can listen to the past five shortwave reports, find advice for listening to shortwave at home, and find internet links for global news sources. Please check it out and tell a friend. In today's edition, you'll hear reports from Germany's Radio Deutsche Welle, Radio Havana Cuba, and Russia's Sputnik Radio. We will begin with Germany's Radio Deutsche Welle. In China, children are now limited to three hours of online video gaming per week to protect their physical and mental health. A series of reports on extreme weather globally, an Extinction Rebellion is staging large protests every day this week in London, demanding action on climate change. Many fires continue in California, and Haiti lacks food. Defense and foreign ministers from the European Union are meeting to discuss Afghanistan and the need for an EU defense force. In Venezuela, the opposition has decided to vote in upcoming regional elections, and security forces in southern Mexico have stopped a caravan of Central American migrants on foot to the United States. Germany's Radio Deutsche Welle. Well, beginning today, children in China are allowed to play online video games for a maximum of three hours each week. Children under the age of 18 may play online games between 8 p.m. and 9 p.m. on Fridays and during the weekend. Gaming companies are expected to enforce these rules. Now, the government claims this is to protect the, quote, physical and mental health of minors. Lehan Chow and her son are shopping for video games. But how long he can play will no longer be at her discretion. While she accepts that gaming can be addictive, she says it can help childhood development. If you limit the time they play, it's all right. Also, video games may teach kids how to face pressures. For example, when they're challenged by a game or level, you can see how they react emotionally. The move to curb game time is seen as an effort to encourage China's youth to play less and study more. It might just work. It's like there's a fight between two thoughts in my head. One says, this regulation not allowing me to play games is so annoying. The other says, you're in your last year of high school, you should be studying. At this cyber cafe, however, the die-hard gamers are unsurprisingly not keen on the new limits. Some think the government's hardline stance on gaming companies could backfire. There's no need for China to boycott games in this way. Because the internet companies here are developing and gaming is part of it. I think if China resists it too much, it will restrain the development of talent. 
人才的培养嘛，这是我我认为，我认为。Analysts too say that desperate parents and youngsters will find a way around the restrictions. There are always loopholes. For example, I can imagine some countries have already begun to deal with it. For example, account leasing, which means that adults rent accounts to young people or modify mobile phones, or there will be human skin masks in the future. A new report by the United Nations Weather Agency says that weather disasters are striking the world four to five times more frequently than in the 1970s. The World Meteorological Organization report also says that disasters are causing seven times more damage. Officials say climate change is making weather disasters stronger and more frequent. But on a positive note, the number of global deaths caused by these disasters has declined nearly threefold since the 1970s. The report examined more than 11,000 weather disasters in the past half century. Climate activists from the group Extinction Rebellion protested today in front of the investment bank J.P. Morgan in London. They used hammers and chisels to try to break glass doors. Extinction Rebellion says it's targeting London's financial district in a series of protests calling for action on climate change. Intense rain has caused devastating floods in Spain, with the country's northeastern coast particularly badly affected. In the town of Alcanar, several cars were swept out to sea by the floodwaters. No deaths were reported. The storm left thousands without power and blocked transport links. The remnants of Hurricane Ida continue to wreak havoc across the northeastern United States. The National Weather Service declared its first ever flash flooding emergency for New York City as Ida dumped a month's worth of rain in a matter of hours. Several people have died, subway and air travel has been suspended, and thousands are without power. We can speak now to Brian Kahn in New York. He's a climate journalist and a lecturer at Columbia University. Brian, how unusual is a storm like this? I mean, extremely unusual. The fact that we saw this storm make landfall in the Gulf Coast as a Category 4 storm, one of the strongest storms to ever hit the U.S., wreak absolutely massive damage in Louisiana, which I think is important to remember that people down there are still suffering, and then come all the way up to the Northeast and do something very similar. I mean, these are extremely rare events to have happen, not just with the landfall and the strength we saw there, but the fact that we saw, you know, what is essentially a one in 200 year rainstorm across the Northeast from, uh, you know, covering maybe four or five states. So in terms of rarity, absolutely rare to have one of these things happen, to have them both happen with one storm, um, you know, it's borderline unprecedented. You know, when we look at this, this has all the hallmarks of climate change. We see more heavy downpours and things like that. And so, you know, in the Northeast alone, there's been a 71% increase in heavy rainfall um, since the 1950s. And what that means is that cities need to think about everything completely differently. It means that we need stormwater infrastructure that can handle more rain. It means maybe opening up more green space instead of having concrete everywhere so that rain can be absorbed. And it also means, you know, thinking about where folks live and how they live um, and how they get the alerts when this severe weather will happen. Because even if we cut all emissions tomorrow, climate change will continue to alter rainstorms and make them more intense. And so we need to be prepared on many levels from infrastructure to the actual alerts that people get to make sure they stay safe. Climate journalist Brian Kahn speaking to us from New York. Thank you. And in California, a massive wildfire is bearing down on a popular vacation spot, forcing evacuations. The Caldor Fire is moving swiftly into the Lake Tahoe Ski Resort, pushed by strong winds. 
Authorities have also warned people across the state line in Nevada to be ready to evacuate. The 7.2 magnitude earthquake that struck Haiti just two weeks ago has exacerbated the country's hunger crisis. The World Food Program says 215,000 people are in need of urgent assistance. The quake destroyed crops and livestock and more than 2,000 people were killed. People around the world are marking this International Day of the Victims of Enforced Disappearances. Officials joined families to remember their missing loved ones and they demanded justice. Syria, Sri Lanka and Zimbabwe have some of the highest numbers of recorded disappearances. Hundreds of thousands have vanished globally in conflicts or under repressive regimes. Afghanistan is topping the agenda as foreign and defense ministers from the European Union gather in Slovenia for a two-day conference. They plan to discuss security and the humanitarian crisis following NATO's chaotic withdrawal from the country. Some EU leaders say the fall of the government in Kabul has highlighted the need to develop a common European defense force to be ready to react to future crises. Venezuela's main opposition parties have announced they will take part in regional polls set for November this year. The opposition alliance has boycotted several previous elections, citing a lack of free, fair and transparent polls. They accused the socialist government of President Nicolas Maduro of intimidation. Security forces in southern Mexico have stopped a caravan of several hundred mostly Central American migrants heading to the United States on foot. Members of the National Guard blocked the road and detained about 80 people. Mexico has been increasing its border security in an effort to stop irregular migration. Those reports were from Germany's Radio Deutsche Welle, which may be heard at a combined audio-video website, DW.com, as well as on YouTube at their channel called DW. Next, Radio Havana, Cuba. In Mexico, the government of President Obrador has proposed to abolish the Organization of American States, that's the OAS, and create a new regional body to eliminate interventionism. In Brazil, protests continued, demanding that President Bolsonaro deal with unemployment, poverty, and the COVID crises. Bolsonaro addressed a crowd in the capital and urged everyone to get rifles as soon as possible. The United Nations reported that Israel has forced 31 Palestinians to demolish their homes in the West Bank in the past two weeks. The Afghan health care system is at risk of collapse after foreign donors stopped providing aid following the Taliban takeover. The U.S. drone strike in Kabul, intended to prevent a bomb attack, instead killed 10 members of an Afghan family, seven of them children. Radio Havana, Cuba. The government of Mexican President Andres Manuel López Obrador has proposed to abolish the Organization of American States, the OAS, and create a new regional body to eliminate interventionism. Participating in the second day of the seventh plenary meeting of senators of the ruling National Regeneration Movement Party, Morena, Foreign Minister Marcelo Ebrard reiterated that the OAS must disappear. 
Quote, someone has to send a letter or something to the Secretary General of the Inter-American Forum, Luis Almagro, that the OAS could not continue to be an instrument of intervention, said the Mexican Foreign Minister. Quote, what is Mexico's proposal? Goodbye to the OAS in its interventionist and hegemonic sense, and let another organization be built in agreement with the United States for the 21st century, said Ebrard. The Mexican foreign minister recalled that this objective was raised by the Mexican president during last July's meeting in Mexico of foreign ministers of the Community of Latin American and Caribbean States, CELAC. He said that at the summit of heads of state and government of CELAC, scheduled for September 18th in Mexico, the objective is to set the next steps for this proposal. The organizers of the Out Bolsonaro campaign and the cry of the excluded have issued a statement in which they call for a new day of demonstrations against the current government of the far-right president scheduled for next week throughout Brazil. According to the statement that brings together a dozen trade union centers, the reason for the protest is unemployment that reaches 15 million. Six million who are no longer looking for work, another six million inactive people needing work, and millions others in a precarious employment situation. Organizers also mentioned high inflation, famine, and the flight of investment, as well as an increase in violence, food, and social insecurity. The conveners described the authoritarian escalation of Jair Bolsonaro and what they call a disastrous management of the COVID-19 pandemic. They mentioned, likewise, the environmental and energy crisis, amongst others. The objective, according to the document, is to contain the president's authoritarian outbursts, to discuss urgent issues such as decent jobs and their creation, the need for social programs, and the correct confrontation of the health crisis. In Brazil, President Jair Bolsonaro addressed a crowd of his supporters in the capital Brasilia, urging everyone to get a rifle as soon as possible. Bolsonaro's ratings have crumbled amid the COVID-19 pandemic, which has seen Brazil become one of the world's worst affected countries, with almost 21 million infections and more than 578,000 deaths. A recent poll revealed that only 24% of those surveyed plan to vote for Bolsonaro when he runs for re-election next year, while his leftist opponent, former President Luis Ignacio Lula da Silva, received some 40% of support. The reactionary president has already threatened to not accept the outcome of the 2022 election, claiming it could be rigged against him due to the alleged vulnerabilities of the country's purely electronic voting system. He's now facing an investigation over those statements, which were never backed by any convincing proof. One group of Brazilians who have been increasingly happy with Bolsonaro since he took office in 2019 are gun enthusiasts, whom he once again addressed over the weekend. Quote, everybody has to buy a rifle, damn it. Armed people will never be enslaved. The head of state told a crowd of supporters outside his official residence, the Alvorada Palace. The United Nations says Israeli authorities have torn down, seized or forced owners to demolish a total of 31 Palestinian-owned buildings across the occupied West Bank in two weeks. Israel's punitive measures against these Palestinian-owned structures displaced 32 people, including 14 children, and affected the livelihoods of some 680 others. The UN Office for the Coordination of Humanitarian Affairs, the OCHA, said in its latest report covering the period between August 10th and 23rd, Palestine's official Wafa news agency reported over the weekend. Throughout the years, Israel has frequently demolished Palestinian homes, claiming that the structures have been built without permits, which are nearly impossible to obtain. 
The Tel Aviv regime even orders the Palestinian owners to demolish their own homes or pay the demolition costs to the municipality. The Israeli regime has demolished more than 81 buildings in Al-Quds since the beginning of 2021. Afghanistan's healthcare system is at risk of collapse. Two major aid agencies have told the Reuters news agency after foreign donors stopped providing aid following the Taliban takeover. International donors, including the World Bank and European Union, froze funding to Afghanistan shortly afterwards. Quote, one of the great risks of the health system here is basically to collapse because of lack of support, said Felipe Ribeiro, Afghanistan representative for Doctors Without Borders, one of the largest medical aid agencies in the country. Quote, the overall health system in Afghanistan is understaffed, under-equipped and underfunded for years. And the great risk is that this underfunding will continue over time. Sunday's drone strike in Kabul that Washington claims targeted a potential Daesh operative preparing a bomb attack, in reality turned out to be a military blunder. This according to survivors and witnesses of the nightmarish strike, which killed 10 members of an Afghan family, seven of them children. The United States said Sunday it had destroyed an explosive-laden vehicle in an airstrike, thwarting a bid by Daesh to detonate a car bomb at Kabul airport. But it was the family's car that came under attack as they were about to leave their home for the airport. The U.S. missile took the lives of the 10 Afghan civilians in the instant that it impacted the family's car. Aymal Ahmadi, a relative, said, quote, The rocket came and hit the car full of kids inside our house. Ahmadi said that of the 10 members of the family who died in the airstrike, they included his daughter and five other children. Neighbors said that the house where the children had been playing a few minutes prior became a, quote, horror scene, and they described human flesh stuck to the walls, bones in the bushes, and walls stained red with blood. Talking about one of the younger boys, Fazan and other neighbors said, we found only his legs. Those reports were from Radio Havana, Cuba. Cuba's website is working well at radiohc.cu, though the podcasts are no longer updated. On shortwave, Cuba may be heard from noon to 1 p.m. at 15140, and from 5 p.m. to 11 at either 6000, 6060, or 6100. All the times I announce are for Pacific Daylight Saving Time, so please adjust them to your time zone. If you have questions or comments about the shortwave report, or could assist me by supporting this listener-funded program, I may be reached through the website and PayPal or by writing to Dan Roberts at P.O. Box 1162, Willits, California, 95490. Please, help me continue producing this weekly show, which I freely distribute to radio stations and the Internet, like listeners in Fort Bragg, California, and Cave Junction, Oregon, did this week. Many, many thanks. We will conclude with Sputnik Radio. On his program called Sputnik Orbiting the World, George Galloway spoke with Paul Rogers, professor of peace studies at the University of Bradford. They discussed the origins of the war in Afghanistan, which countries will extend their influence into the vacuum created by the withdrawals, and how the Taliban opposed groups like ISIS. 
Sputnik Radio. There's lots of talk about the wars we're in, but how we got into them and what alternatives were available, not so much. One man who spent a career studying and teaching the alternatives to war, namely peace, is Professor Paul Rogers from the world-famous Peace Studies Department at the University of Bradford. Do you see the loss of Kabul as a, a symbol of the Western powers losing control? In a sense, yes. I think it's part of a bigger picture. I mean, what has happened in Afghanistan is not dissimilar to what happened to the Soviet Union in the 1980s. And the end result has been, obviously, the Taliban coming back into control. Whether they will be like they were 20, 22 years ago is much more difficult to tell. Afghanistan has changed out of all recognition with so many younger people coming through. But in terms of Western influence, if you like, then that is a major setback. There's no doubt at all about that. Not least because in Afghanistan there are other countries that are willing, certainly, to deal with the new regime. The uh, other countries that you refer to, of course, are Pakistan, China, Russia, Iran. Yes, I mean, if you look at those two, those four, I agree with you, those are the key ones. Iran will be rather cautious. It has never been happy with the Taliban, going right back to the merger of those Iranian diplomats many years ago. But it will deal with the Taliban, not least because it wants a secure border. Russia may not have direct connections, but obviously it has a long history of association, going right back to, what, 150 years and the rivalry with Britain. So it will maintain relations. Pakistan is already well embedded, mainly through the Inter-Services Intelligence Agency of the Pakistani Armed Forces and many other things behind. The most interesting one and the most significant certainly is China. And I would expect that China will build up pretty strong relations with the Taliban and indeed had a summit meeting with some of the key members only four or five weeks ago. So that is where the Taliban, in a sense, will have, if you like, friends in the region to the extent that the Taliban 25 years ago simply did not. Professor, do you, are you one to argue that the Taliban has changed in the past two decades? Uh, have they adapted to the, to the world in which social media now, has, now plays such a big role? And, and obviously they've got the hardware, uh, they're equipped with all the hardware, but how are they in terms of that? Taliban use smart moves, the, the smart media all the time, personally. You know, WhatsApp and all the rest uh, are ways of exchanging with each other. Uh, it will be far more difficult to impose the kind of Afghanistan rule that they would have had 25 years ago. But you're not that far away from that in some senses on the religious side in, for example, Saudi Arabia. Within Afghanistan itself, we've seen over the last several years, Taliban controlling large areas, not always bitterly opposed by a long shot. Uh, and so it is possible that they will actually produce a kind of combination Did we have to get here, Professor? Were there alternatives available to the, to the powers back in 2001 that could have avoided all this? There certainly were. Given the state of attitude in the United States and the sheer shock of 9-11, which we should never underestimate, it was very unlikely the Americans would accept any other way. But there were other ideas being put forward. The first article I wrote for Open Democracy after 9-11, but before the war, was arguing against it, saying it would turn out to be a trap, because basically the likes of al-Qaeda wanted to trap the United States in Afghanistan. What was happening in early October 2001, 
You could have gone for far stronger international cooperation if you'd not been prepared to go to war. You could have followed the international law route and spent however it looked took to bring the people to justice. But the key thing was, if you treated the terrible events of 9-11 as a hideous example of transnational criminality and not, in a sense, political terrorism, which required a military response, you could have had a very different outcome. What we do know is that though it seemed to work initially, the end result has been really uh, a travesty. And we now find 20 years later the situation that we're now in. You mentioned the word uh, al-Qaeda, the only legitimate interest we have in Afghanistan is not who runs it and how they run it even, but whether or not the country is allowed to become a platform for attacks on the rest of us. And that's where the Al-Qaeda, ISIS, Khorasan, and all the alphabet soup comes in. Are the Taliban seized of the importance of keeping these people out, do you think? Probably, yes, in the case of ISIS, Islamic State, which still is pretty extreme and actually has said that it opposes the Taliban. It regards them as apostate in a way because they even deal with the Americans. Al-Qaeda is a different matter. It is already present in upwards of 15 provinces and even works to some extent with the Taliban in at least three of them. Uh, the numbers on the Al-Qaeda side are pretty small at the present, but of course it has influence in many other parts of the world, including across the Sahel uh, and, other, and, and parts of South Asia. So in a sense, the, it appears that under the current leadership, Al-Qaeda is less concerned with taking its warfare abroad and engaging in transnational attacks. Uh, and I don't think problems will come from there. They may come from ISIS, but this will also depend on the Americans. If the Americans sense that there are groups within Afdan Afghanistan that are willing to attack overseas or even encourage attacks overseas, the Americans will move in, not with troops on the ground, but with drones and, and, and the like and, and strike aircraft. That could lead to a sudden state of tension, uh, and it would be very difficult to predict where that would end, I'm afraid to say. The long history of the 1980s is that Western countries have been ready to use uh, extremist groups for geopolitical purposes. That's how we got here in a way, isn't it? I uh, have lived long enough, like you, to remember the nightly news at 10, panegyrics to the freedom fighters who were, of course, the fathers of the Taliban. That is certainly true. I mean, the Mujahideen, the, the anti-Soviet Mujahideen, uh, particularly between about 1984 and 1988, where, when the Soviet Union eventually withdrew, uh, were obviously primarily nationalist patrons within Afghanistan resisting foreigners. And they were seen by the Americans and others as freedom fighters right in the middle of the Cold War. The many Arabs who joined them, including bin Laden himself and Zawahiri and others, were coming in from a much stronger religious dimension. But they too were acceptable to the United States, to the CIA, and certainly to the ISI. And one would describe bin Laden with all his logistics capabilities round about the mid-1980s as almost an American asset. Um, but that is absolutely the case and of course, it was not too long. In fact, only when the Al-Qaeda had formed and was operating back in Saudi Arabia in the early 1990s and opposed to the US presence did that change. So yes, initially, 
you know, the freedom fighters included people who then became the enemies of the United States from a Washington perspective. Who would have thunk it? Professor Paul Rogers, thank you for joining us. That interview is by George Galloway from his program called Sputnik Radio, heard on Sputnik Radio, the current name for the Voice of Russia, available online at rt.com. One of my goals in producing this show is to encourage people like you to listen to international broadcasts, get a global perspective. Every Thursday evening, I post a new shortwave report at the website for this show. That's out farpress.com at my website you can also listen to past shows please take a moment and make a safe donation online through paypal there's a link at my website along with a podcast link and get advice for listening at home the shortwave report which is now in its 25th year of production remains free to rebroadcast upon notification The shortwave report is produced and distributed off the electrical grid in Northern California using solar panels. I'm your host and producer, Dan Roberts. Thanks for listening.